Now that EA no longer has the Star Wars license exclusively, the Force is definitely with us. Good morning, good Wednesday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for January 26th, 2022. It comes bright and early every weekday to our patrons who pledge at patreon.com sifted, and it's delayed a couple days for everyone else. If you like our content, we also have a separate podcast feed for our flagship show, Game Face, that you can find by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. So today, Respawn announced that it is working on three new Star Wars games. It's working on Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order 2. It's working on a brand new Star Wars shooter, first-person shooter. And it's also working on an XCOM-like with an outside studio. I guess the question here is, what took so long? EA had the exclusive on the Star Wars license for like 10 years and released two games, three games, three games, I think it was, four games in 10 years. Now the license is being shared with other third party publishers and it has three from one studio in the works. Let's talk about the games here quickly. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order 2, obviously the sequel to the first game from a couple years ago. For those of you who don't remember, it was a hack-and-slash action-adventure that was designed a little bit like Metroid. It was a pretty beefy game, it lasted quite a while, and the combat mechanics were solid. Overall, it was just a really, really good game. So, I think we're safe with Fallen Order 2. Now let's talk about the shooter. Most of you listening to this probably know that Vince Zampella is probably the creator of the modern Call of Duty game. He was at the helm at Infinity Ward for the first couple Modern Warfare games. Obviously, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare, is really what sent Call of Duty from a pretty successful shooter franchise to the most successful gaming franchise in the world. Well, unless you count Grand Theft Auto V. So the pedigree is there. He has created the modern shooter already. Will he reinvent it? Will this game just be Star Wars of duty? Who knows? But also, I feel very confident that that's also going to be a game worth keeping an eye on. The strategy game is a little different. Not everyone likes games like XCOM or Fire Emblem or maybe that weird Mario Rabbids game that came out at the launch of Switch. It is an acquired taste, but those games do tend to sell pretty well if they're done well. Now, Respawn has never made a game like this, but it's a good thing that it's brought in another studio, which is a brand new studio that's made up of former developers of the XCOM franchise. So hard to imagine there's a better studio for them to work in conjunction with on that project. So I'm gonna reserve judgment on that one, but still, it seems like everything's lined up for that project to be a success as well. And so I ask again, what took so long? Why is EA just now taking the Star Wars license seriously when it's no longer the only game in town? And this is why we always say that competition is good. This is why we need three platforms in the console space. This is why we need lots of independent developers that aren't sucked up by huge conglomerates. It's been frustrating being a Star Wars fan who likes video games for the last decade. Actually, a lot longer than that. It has been a struggle. 
EA Star Wars games, you got Battlefront 1, you got Battlefront 2, you got Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and then you got the Rogue Squadron-inspired space shooter that lasted a total of about five hours, and that's it. Now, all of a sudden, when there's someone competing with EA with the Star Wars license, it's got its butt in gear. And this is the clearest example that I can show you of why exclusivity is generally a bad thing. Because once you have that license locked down, there's no incentive for your game to get better. I think we've seen it with Madden. Once it locked down the exclusive NFL license and it didn't have to compete with NFL 2K any longer, Madden became pretty stagnant and it continues to be pretty stagnant. But to me, these Star Wars games from EA and Respawn are far more obvious indicators of what happens when there is no exclusivity and you have to compete in the open market with your competitors to make the best product instead of just having the luxury of being the only product. This is also why it's good to have three different platforms because they're competing with each other. They're pushing each other. For example, look at what Microsoft has done with Game Pass. If you're a consumer, if you're a player, it's the best deal going in gaming. And now, because there are competitors to Xbox, PlayStation is starting to talk about doing its version of Game Pass. Will Nintendo ever do it? I highly doubt it. But Microsoft's success with its service has convinced Sony to investigate a service of its own. Again, competition, creating improvements for the end user. Us. So while it was disappointing that EA was the gatekeeper to Star Wars video games for so long, now that it no longer holds the key, a brand new galaxy of hopefully awesome Star Wars games is now on the way. All right, now let's check out some stories from the top of all your Siths. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, can you smell what he's cooking? Has <laughs> announced that he's bringing one of the biggest and most badass video games to the big screen. So yeah, he's gonna star in yet another movie based on a video game. He already was in Doom and Rampage, and now he's ready for the trifecta. However, he would not divulge exactly which video game property the film is going to be based on, but I have a couple guesses. My first one would be Call of Duty, because there's nothing bigger than Call of Duty. Maybe there's some stuff that's more badass, though. <laughs> My second guess would be he'd make a damn fine Kratos for a God of War movie. He already has the haircut, he already has the build. Honestly, he already kind of has the sense of humor, the quick wit, the quips. He'd make a perfect Kratos. A week after being acquired by Microsoft, Blizzard announced today that a brand new survival game is in development. It will be a brand new IP, so it's not gonna be based on Diablo or Starcraft or any of Blizzard's other properties or World of Warcraft. But it's a weird time to introduce a new IP to the industry because who knows if the people working on that game will even be around in eight or nine months when the true merger between Activision Blizzard and Microsoft starts to take place. My guess is most of the people working on that game probably won't be around or they'll be shuffled off to some other team inside Blizzard or Microsoft. And the catch is, they're actually talking about this game now because they're trying to hire for the development team. But the uncertainty around the developer might make acquiring talent extremely difficult. We'll see how it goes. 
Halo Infinite has now surpassed 20 million players. Believe it or not, this makes it the biggest launch for a Halo game ever. Nostalgia glasses can sometimes cloud reality. Really, if you think back to when the franchise was in its heyday, selling 10 million units of a single game was practically unheard of. So we always think about Halo Combat Evolved or Halo 2 or Halo 3 as these games that sold 20, 30 million copies. That's really not the case. Uh, the expectations back then were much lower than they are today, which makes Halo Infinite the biggest launch in the history of the Halo franchise. Today, Techland released a post-launch roadmap for Dying Light 2, and it said it plans on supporting the game for the next five years. The first story DLC for the game launches in June, but before then, there's a Factions-inspired content drop in February, and then in March, the first set of challenges is released, and then there are more events in April and May before the first story expansion is released. If you plan on buying the game on February 4th, it's coming up quick, you'll have many, many years of zombie killing to look forward to. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. I know some of you may be getting sick of hearing about Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard. It is a gigantic story, and there are so many layers and folds to the story. And I've kind of found a different angle on it. We found out today from Jason Schreier at Bloomberg that the next two Call of Duty games, so for the next two years, the new Call of Duty will also release on PlayStation due to existing contracts that were signed between Activision and PlayStation before the acquisition happened. So for this year, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 will get the new Modern Warfare game. Next year, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 will get the next game from Treyarch. And then Schreier said that the next iteration of Warzone is also already contracted to appear on PlayStation consoles. And after that... Nobody knows. But Phil Spencer, who is now the head of this huge gaming conglomerate at Microsoft, he oversees all their internal studios, all their new acquisitions like Bethesda, Blizzard, and Activision. He is now the Don. But I honestly think Phil is being too nice. This past week, he issued a quote that struck me as interesting. And it goes... Sony is an important part of our industry, and we value our relationship. This was after he had released a cryptic statement saying that we believe in Call of Duty being on PlayStation. That could have been taken either way. You could have taken it like, oh, they're going to keep releasing all Call of Duty games in the future on PlayStation. Or you could have looked at it like, once we fulfill our contracts with PlayStation, then those games will remain on PlayStation so people can continue to play them, we'll leave the servers up, things like that. We still don't know what the real answer to that is. But let me read that quote again. Sony is an important part of our industry and we value our relationship. 
what is that relationship between Xbox and PlayStation? The only relationship I can think of is that they're competing for the same people and the same dollars. I hear the argument all the time that Nintendo operates in this blue ocean and it does its own thing and it doesn't even believe that it actually competes with PlayStation or Xbox. That's delusional. And I don't believe it either. I don't believe that Nintendo never looks at what the other game companies are doing. You could see Miyamoto or Awada walk around E3 checking out everyone else's games. It's just simply not true. It's the way Nintendo wants to portray itself, but it's really just not reality. Nintendo keeps an eye on what its competitors are doing, whether it wants to admit that they're competitors or not. But at the same time, I would argue that it does kind of swim in its own pool I don't know that the Xbox consumer is the same as the Switch consumer, but the Xbox consumer is absolutely the PlayStation consumer. And so, Phil's being too nice. These are your competitors. PlayStation and Sony is trying to take the food off your table. Have you not figured that out yet? Why do you think PlayStation dragged its feet, allowing things like cross-platform play and cross-platform saves? Because it doesn't want its customers mingling with Xbox customers. It just doesn't. It wants a walled garden where it alone tends the garden. Phil's being too nice. You can't be nice in business. You have to be cutthroat. PlayStation is cutthroat. I know we've seen the executives of the big three go on stage together at the Game Awards. We've seen some kumbaya stuff in the past with, with these folks, but it's not real. It's all a front. No one wants to look like the bad guy. No one wants to look like the villain, so they all play along. But I'll tell you one thing. You would never see PlayStation issue statements about Xbox anywhere near the things that Phil has been saying about PlayStation since its acquisition. You just wouldn't. Now, I picked up on this because I'm also sometimes guilty of being too nice. As a manager, it was one of the first things that I learned about myself was that I was too nice. I would have employees who were screwing up or were falling behind their colleagues, and I would try to take the positive route. Keep working hard. Stick to it. You'll get there. Rarely happens. <laughs> Rarely happened. Generally, hires that I made who were an issue out of the gate generally continued to be an issue in the years to come. And I was too nice to them. So I always look back on it and wonder if I had been more stern, if I had been more honest, if I would have done a better job of developing my hires. And I learned from it, and I changed. And I wouldn't say that I became a jerk, but I would say I was more clear about expectations, and I was more clear with my feedback. And it worked. There's a fine line between being cordial and being gullible or weak. So I'm wondering if the people that 
Phil Spencer report to his bosses or boss, whatever it is. How do they feel about this? How do they feel about this messaging? They just spent almost $70 billion acquiring assets to help Phil Spencer's business. And instead of grabbing the competitor by the throat and throwing it down, he's decided to dance around with them and invite them to the celebration. I don't know if it's some kind of Jedi mind trick he's trying to pull, because I do believe that when these contracts are up, there's no way Call of Duty is going to release on PlayStation anymore. It's just not. And I will say this. If Phil does allow Call of Duty to release on PlayStation after the contracts are fulfilled, he will be fired. The people that I was just talking about earlier, his bosses or his boss, whatever it is, there's no way they will tolerate it. You do not spend that much money on an asset to help you competitively to then just turn it over to your competitor. You just don't do it. So one, I do not think Phil will do it, which means this is a lot of bluster. So assuming from this point forward that Call of Duty is not going to continue on PlayStation after the next two games are released and the next iteration of Warzone is out there, what is the purpose of this? Why is Phil essentially kowtowing to PlayStation and PlayStation fans? And I believe that's rooted in optimism. I think he really believes that eventually he is going to have to turn these people who are kind of angry at him right now into his customers in 24 months. When the last Call of Duty releases on PlayStation and they have to finally admit in public that it's not coming to PlayStation any longer. He needs to soften that blow. And the best way to soften the blow is to tell people exactly what you think they want to hear until you can't do it anymore. And that's exactly what's going to happen with this. It'll be interesting to see how people react as slowly over time they realize that all the smaller franchises definitely aren't coming to PlayStation again. So I would imagine Crash Bandicoot 5 or whatever. PlayStation hasn't even signed contracts for that game yet. It's barely getting started in development. So if there's no contract, it's not coming to PlayStation. And so if you care about some of the smaller games that Activision Blizzard publishes, that's reason for concern. Because, again, once those contracts are up, that's it. You'll get Diablo 4. You won't get Diablo 5. You'll get Overwatch 2. You won't get Overwatch 3. You won't get the next StarCraft. There's a lot of stuff you're going to miss out on. And that's just the honest truth. It'll be interesting to see when Phil is willing to share the honest truth. And I wonder, too, if this goodwill that Phil is trying to engender with his verbiage, if it will even matter with players, if someone has been a lifelong PlayStation player and consumer, do you think that person's really going to care when they yank Call of Duty from them that Phil softened the blow two years earlier? First of all, they're probably going to forget that all this spackling over even happened. 
all they're going to know is that they played Call of Duty on their PlayStation as long as they've bought PlayStation consoles, and now they can't. And why can't they? Because Microsoft bought Activision. And no amount of pandering is going to matter at that point. They're going to forget it, and you can maybe try again. At that point, it's not going to work then either. So, why do it? Sometimes it's better to just deliver the bad news right away, so you have as much time as possible before you will face the consequences of it. So to me, it's better to tell PlayStation owners now what they can expect. And two years from now, they will have digested that information long ago, will have gotten over it, will have already decided whether they want to buy an Xbox console to continue playing Call of Duty. To me, that's how you keep everyone happy. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate everyone for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you can do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Dinfire. And while you're at it, follow Sifted at Sifted Games. Another episode will be sitting in your feeds tomorrow morning. We'll see you then. Make sure you seize today, because there will never be another. <laughs>